0: It's time for Recruiting Better with me, Ben Browning. For ambitious recruiters, it's never been tougher to get seen as a trusted advisor and true partner by your candidates and clients. Join me each week as I address your challenges head on, answering questions from recruitment consultants and business leaders. If you're looking for inspiration or insights to help you make more placements, win more new business, buy more candidates, or replace long hours with smart moves, then stay tuned. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Recruiting Better podcast with me, Ben Browning. This week, we're gonna be digging into one of the core techniques that you're gonna to need to ramp up your business development process to make it more effective, and to optimize the amount of commitment and engagement that you get from your clients when you come to Southland. That technique is the discovery meeting and through this session and this through this show, I'm gonna be breaking down that technique in full with you so you have real understanding of how to come away from sales meetings with your clients with the best possible relationships. That in many cases will mean that you're able to get better terms with your client, be those selling retainers and getting your client to make commitments to pay you up front or All the way through to multi-hire deals or multi-month contracts where your client says that they're happy to work with you over a period of hires on an exclusive basis or maybe even over a period of months on an exclusive basis too. The discovery framework that we use is uh, really important to understand. It's an important part of sales methodology. It's the cornerstone of taking a client from curious to committed. And it's essential for you to be able to really secure highly collaborative and highly loyal clients. And that's going to be our key focus. It's our key focus in everything we do. right? So when I'm coaching people and showing people how to build sales playbooks, whether I'm training people or mentoring recruiters, the fundamental thing that we're driving for, the thing that really makes a difference for them is how collaborative and how loyal their clients are. Collaboration means that you increase your fill rate, you maximise your fill rate so that you're filling as many jobs as possible of the ones that you're working. The difference between having a 20% fill rate and a 60% fill rate will triple your billings. So it's really important to, to focus on that. The second piece, loyalty, will dictate how many roles you get brought and how well your client opens up to you and works with you over time. So, if you're looking at clients who hire on multiple occasions through the year rather than shooting to work on their first opportunity getting your foot in the door and sealing spot business uh, by working one role at a time you really want to be thinking about what is your strategy for securing all of their business or all of their business for a period of time so six months or three to five hires is typically the way that we think about approaching this now Discovery in itself doesn't make a huge amount of sense as a standalone concept. You you need to understand where it sits in the recruitment process, in the sales process. Because for most recruiters, the idea of discovery is, is not quite what it sounds. They think that discovery is where we do the job briefing, where we better understand what a client needs from a role, maybe even where we start to understand what a client better needs from a recruiter, but it's all very role-centric. It's very tangled up in this idea that your client's got a live requirement. However, if you've been listening to the show and if you've caught earlier episodes, you'll know that the business development approach that cuts through most in this era is biocentric and it's got nothing to do with whether they are ready to hire or, or, or make a hire right now. Nothing to do with whether they've got a live vacancy and everything to do with how you set a contingency plan in place, how you set an agreement in place for long term transformation of their hiring rather than being transactional. To give you some concrete definition around that, transactional simply means you're focused on placing a candidate or making a hire or helping a client with a vacancy, whereas transformational really thinks about changing the way that they're going about hiring, making meaningful changes, making meaningful additions to the steps they take in their hiring process. That is less complicated than it sounds, but it's made all the easier with the right discovery and sales meeting process. So if discovery isn't about job briefings and it isn't even about how your client kind of works with you in a particular role, what is it? Well, let's go back a step to cold calling emails and, and your sales outreach. Given that your cold calling and your sales outreach or emails, all of the work that you do up front, if you're following a modern biocentric approach, is not to do with whether your client is hiring right now, i.e. what opportunity they have for you to sell to them, but instead thinking about them and the problems they face when they do come to hire, then we're having a different kind of conversation. So for example, you'll be going out to your clients, if you're getting BD right for, for this era, you'll be going out to your clients and you'll be saying to them, look, we recognize that when most employers in this space come to build their teams or come to achieve their objectives or come to focus on succeeding with their mission, they typically come up against one of the following three problems. And those problems will be specific to your individual market, but you'll list them off. You'll say they either find that problem A or they find that problem B or maybe they find problem C. Does any of that resonate with you? At this point, your client is telling you that they do have a problem. Through the rest of your prospecting conversation, you'll unpack that to find out how serious that problem is and whether it's serious enough that they want to spend more time with you hearing about potential solutions. Not necessarily your solution, but the way that other businesses have gone about solving that kind of challenge. At that point, we've brought your client into this meeting scenario. We've booked some time with them. And over the next 30 minutes or so, I'm gonna break down for you what you can do with that time in that sales meeting to get the best out of it, to come away with highly committed, highly loyal, highly collaborative clients. One question that comes up around this topic is why you wanna meet a client who isn't actively hiring. But that's kind of the wrong way to think about it. In fact, if you're asking that question, you might be thinking about short-term revenue placements and deals right now, and if that's the case, and you're better off focusing on your delivery model and how you're collaborating with clients where you've got existing roles on. New business development is always about pipeline and you should be thinking about three months or six months out. And when you meet clients who aren't actively hiring, the reason that you do that is because you wanna get ahead of the curve. The analogy that I use here is when someone's kitchen is on fire they will pay more for a bucket of water i.e a quick fix than they will for a sprinkler system if your kitchen's on fire you're probably not in the market for a sprinkler system you're a little bit too late for that but a bucket of water will alleviate your immediate problem however the amount of money that you're ultimately going to invest the amount of investment you're ultimately going to make in a sprinkler system will typically uh, be greater than the amount that you pay for a, a bucket of water. So what we want to do as recruiters is wanna, we want to sell our client a preventative measure. We want to sell our client a system, an approach, a methodology for hiring that prevents them ever getting into that problem where they're firefighting. When your clients tell you that they've got problems with hiring, they almost always stem from the job briefing and the way that they think about hiring and the things they do before that, that hire becomes Um, immediately required. Usually when you take a job brief, the longer that the client has waited before doing something about it, the more agencies they've spoken to, A the harder it is for you to fill and B the less likely the client is going to get the result they really want. So we want to be in there first, we want to be in there exclusively and that means starting conversations before your clients hiring. And if you're only targeting businesses who hire four to 10 or more times a year, then you know that your client is going to bring you business sooner rather than later. And that's crucial. When we do that, when you win agreements with clients who hire several times per year, you're getting ahead of the curve and it means that you know you've got pipeline going into the next few months. So this is a really important part of the process, a really important part of your understanding of the sales uh, journey. We've gone through outreach, which has understood that your client has a problem. But the fact that they're not hiring right now is irrelevant to the fact that you want to meet them. Because you're going to talk to them about those problems. You're going to talk to them about what they've done about those problems, what they've tried to do to solve those problems. You're going to talk to them about the value of those problems, the impact those problems are having on them. And then you're going to ask them whether it's worth discussing and trying to build together some kind of solution that they can believe in. But when they need to hire next, they will come to you. Of course, for the businesses who hire most frequently, that next hire isn't going to be far away. It could be a matter of weeks or or maybe just a month or so away. Um, but for those businesses that only hire a, a couple of times a year, you might have to wait a little bit longer. The key is to get that agreement in place so that you are the only person they reach out to when that role arises. Discovery frameworks and discovery meetings are as I say, the the, the crux of this process. So let's get straight into how you run an effective discovery meeting. Firstly, we're gonna start with an opener that sets control and sets the tone for the meeting. This is the R in our RESPECT framework. So RESPECT is an acronym that we use to, to follow through the process, and I'll take you through it today. But the first part is R for rapport, and we establish rapport not by being chummy and friendly and trying to socialise with the client, but by setting really clear, direct and effective messaging and tone for the whole of the meeting. So it might sound something like this. Hi Will, we've got 60 minutes set aside for the meeting today. In that time, what I'd really like to achieve with you is to leave you with total clarity as to whether you believe we can help you going forward. And in order to do that, I'll need to get some more understanding of the problems you face when you come to hire, as well as some of the solutions you've attempted to try, and some of the impact that those problems have on you and your colleagues and your business. Then I'll be able to share some relevant examples of the types of ways that we've seen other businesses overcome these challenges in the past and the ways that we've helped them. And at the end of that process if i've done my job accurately you'll have enough clarity to make a decision to to determine what you want to happen next through this meeting you may decide that you can't see yourself working with us and we don't have the solution that that you feel you really need in which case i'm hoping that you'll be comfortable in letting me know equally as we go through the meeting it may be that i decide that i can't help you with the challenges you're facing, but our solution isn't set up to do that. And if that's the case, I will let you know, is that going to be a problem? And then finally, if neither of us decide this can't work, if we both think that this has got some legs to it, what I propose we do is take the final 10 minutes of the meeting to talk about what those next steps should be and how best we can proceed. Is there any reason we shouldn't do that today? So now I've taken control of the meeting, I'm going to ask them a simple question that simply says, cool, so look, it's been a couple of days since we last spoke. Has anything changed or is there anything that's high on your agenda or that you'd like to prioritise for us to talk about today? In creating this template and creating this framework and setting our stall out in that way we've made it really transparent about what the meeting is trying to achieve we focus the client on the intent of the meeting we've also made this meeting all about them and their understanding and their clarity we haven't said look i'm going to try and use this hour to persuade you to buy from me no but it's all about transparency clarity and leaving you with the ability to make a decision what i've also done there is i've said no is an okay answer if you tell me no that's fine and If you don't tell me no, we should agree a next step. What that removes is any doubt. What that removes is the chance for a maybe. And as you've heard me say before, if you listen to the show for a while, maybes are a real disaster in sales. A maybe means that as a salesperson, as a recruiter, you've not done your job properly. Maybe is a lack of information, and your job is to get that information to reach a decision. There are times where a maybe um, could be okay to an extent i if the client says well look we may be able to move forward but we'll need to bring another stakeholder into the process you then ask well is that something you want to do is that something you think we should do and if they say yes then you've reached the decision point like there may be about working with you okay but they're positive they've made a decision in your favor to move forward they might also say no i don't think that this is you know, something worth taking to my boss. So I don't think this is something worth exploring with, with other decision makers or, or just exploring any further. And in which case, again, you've got to a decision. So when we talk about getting to a decision through the sales process, we're not necessarily talking about a final decision, the agreement to work with you. It could be that we're just taking a stepping stone. And that's really uh, important part of the process too. When I went through those elements, you'll have noticed that I talked about the amount of time that we had set aside for the meeting. We've got 60 minutes, the purpose to leave you with total clarity, the, um, the the topics that I'm going to cover. So I want to talk to you about your problems, what you've done to solve it, the impact, and then talk about some potential solutions for you. And then the outcome, which is you'll either say no or you say yes, or you'll either say no, or we'll agree next steps. And then finally, I've flipped it back to them and their agenda that sharing of control and that leaving it feeling like a really collaborative process. If you start all of your sales meetings that way, the chances that you reach a decision, the chances that you get to the outcome that you want, increase massively. In fact, looking back, I find it really difficult to imagine how any sales meeting ends with a clear decision unless you do that piece of upfront contract setting to start with. The second part of a discovery call once we have set that upfront contract we're going to take our client through an exploration of their problems we're going to start with the problem that they told us on the phone and we're going to say we're going to summarize it and play it back to them saying something like this hey anna when we spoke on the phone last week you told me that the big challenge you face in recruitment is similar to many of the other business leaders that i i speak to which is this particular challenge right in here and you mentioned that that's maybe having some impact around around the team and around your relationship with with the senior leadership team. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about that? Can you can you can you expand on on those points and and and, and tell me whether there's anything I've missed in in that summary? So now I'm getting to understand that problem in more detail. I'm really getting to understand exactly what's going on. We're also going to want to ask some questions about the context in which this situation sits. So we might be asking our clients something like, okay, Anna, so I understand a little bit more about the problem. Tell me more broadly, what is it you as a business and as a team are trying to achieve at the moment? What is the mission you're on? What are you really focused on? Is it, as it is for some of my clients, this particular, problem, uh, this particular mission that you're on like this? Or is it actually something else, actually you're on a different mission and that would be, give example. Okay, so you're giving a couple of different examples of the types of mission they might be on and then asking them what matters most to them. Then you're going to ask how that's going and how they're making progress to that. You're really kind of getting the context and the setting for the, for the, the world that they operate in. At that point, we can then flip to impact questions. Okay, cool. So you've got some challenges in the way that you hire, that you've told me about, you've given me examples of, you've talked to me about your, your mission, what you're looking to achieve. How is the problem that you mentioned impacting the mission that you're trying to achieve. What kind of impact is, does that create? You know, when you think about the fact that hiring takes too long, for example, or pulls you away from your team to conduct all your interviews and review CVs, the amount of time that's taking you away from your day job, in what way is that impacting the, the mission that you're on and the thing that you're looking to achieve as an organisation, as a team? Again, we're starting now to understand the value of that problem. Further impact questions. As we go a little bit further, we're going to be asking things like, OK, what would the impact of this be if you, if, you didn't, if you don't do anything differently? If you keep going the way you are for the next three to five years, where do you end up? Where does this, where does this leave you? Really painting a, a picture of a potentially negative future. We can then ask the same question for change. And look, what if you fix this problem? What if you were able to find a solution? If you were able to, to fix the way that hiring works in your organisation? If you were able to find a better strategy... What would that do for you? Where would that leave you in, in three, three years time, five years time? Or let's say we fixed it. Let's say we fixed it immediately. Let's say we were able to get a result for you in the next twelve months. What would that do for you, the business, the team? Really painting that picture. What we've done there is we've identified the gap. And if you haven't read Gap Selling by Keenan, then I highly recommend going out and grabbing a copy and following his LinkedIn content as well because he's uh, excellent, really outspoken, uh, really dynamic, and a great, a great person to follow. So we've gone through a process of understanding your client's problems and understanding the impact that they're having on the business. We then might ask a few more questions out of natural curiosity, right? So it sounds like this has you know, been a problem for you. How long has it been going on? And then what have you done to fix it? What have you done to solve it? What steps have you taken? What have you tried? What have you thought about? Out of interest, what have you ruled out? What will you not do? What steps will you not take? What are you not prepared to compromise in order to fix this? At that point, they might start saying, well, we've tried, tried working with client, uh, with recruiters in the past and it hasn't really worked. We've gone to loads of recruiters and not, they never seem to help us. Or they might even say, oh, we've worked with, we just chose one recruiter we've worked, worked with before. That didn't go so well for us. They might even tell you that they've worked on a retained basis with a recruiter in the past and, and that didn't go well for them. But asking that question, what have you done? What have you tried? What have you thought about? Is really important. I personally had an experience where I sat down with a client and... They told me about their problems, told me about their challenges, and I didn't ask what they'd done. I just said to them, okay, so look, what I think you should try, what I recommend we do in this situation, is we'll work like this, we'll do all our bells and whistles service. All I need from you is for you to pay me 20% of the fee up front. How does that sound? And the client went ballistic. Threw his pen across the table, stood up, shouted at me, said, you recruiters, you're all the same. You want to get paid up front? You think you know you, you take us for fools? We've done this before. We've been in this situation before. We've had our fingers burnt. I can't believe you come in here and make this recommendation. I genuinely believe that working with a recruiter on a retained basis, working with one recruiter, was the right option for that client. However, they'd had their fingers burnt in the past. They would paid a retainer. The recruiter didn't come up with a decent shortlist. Wouldn't give them any money back, and the client felt that they'd been duped. So, Miss storming in with my big size 11 boots on, uh, making a proposal uh, that looked and sounded like something that my client had previously experienced, just just didn't land, It just didn't connect with them at all. It actually annoyed them to the point I got thrown out of the meeting room, which um, is never ideal. Try and avoid that if you can. So we need to ask this question. We need to say, what have you done? What have you thought about? What have you considered? What have you tried? Before we move on to thinking about proposing our solution one final pit stop here before we move into talking to our client about our solution. We're going to summarise everything we've heard. So we've been through the rapport phase of respect. We've been through the explore phase of respect. We're now going through the summarise phase. And the summarise phase is really crucial for three reasons. Firstly, it gives you a chance to put into words what you think you've heard from the client and check that you've got it right. There may have been some finer detail that that you got wrong. So you give them a chance to fact check you. The second thing is there may be parts of that process that they've never really thought about in detail before they've, they've never realized how bad this situation actually is when you say it back to them they're like oh my goodness i yeah when you put it like that i, I hadn't realized how bad it was now a little sidebar on that one you're always going to underplay your client's language so if your client says our hiring is a catastrophe Think about just dumbing that language down and playing back to them. It sounds as though there are ways you believe your hiring process could be improved or it sounds as though there are ways in which your hiring process isn't working for you right now. I never want to use language that sounds more assertive than the language my client has used. So I'm always just going to take a notch or two down. I'm always going to cool off the emotional language slightly. Your job as a salesperson is to be objective. They can be as subjective as they want because it's their problem. You have to be cool, calm and objective. So the second reason for summarising is that they may never have heard it, played back to them in that way before. And the third reason for summarising is it gives a kind of a punctuation mark. It gives a gathering together of all of the things you've been talking about, possibly for the last 20 minutes or so, before you pivot into going into your solution. In fact, that discovery phase could even take the full hour, right? So we might need to think about how we come out of that discovery phase. If we get to the end of the hour, and we've only done the discovery, we haven't had a chance to present back our solution, we need to be thinking about what's the action point to take from there. Once we've completed the summary, we're gonna say to your client, cool, look, it sounds as though you've got this problem. It's having this impact, it's been going on for so long. You've tried these things, none of them have worked. You've ruled out some other stuff which makes perfect sense. Would it now be an appropriate time for me to share with you how we've helped other businesses overcome these challenges in the past. Standing out in your sector is becoming harder than ever. Lots of people are making noise, saturating the market with the same old drill tones. So if you want to stand out, it's time to start a podcast. Yes, there's loads of podcasts out there, but how many of them are actually in your niche? Do any of them speak to your perspective on the market? I didn't think so. Podcasting not only sets you apart as an innovative thinker in your market, it is great content for repurposing. Here at Search That, we help you become the voice of your industry. We can stretch your content and turn it into a content gold mine, leveling up your personal brands and recruitment marketing in the process. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, to find out more, head over to searchthat.co.uk forward slash podcasts. What we've got here is the, the fundamentals of a really effective sales meeting. Right, so we started with setting the scene. We've we've set we've laid out what we're trying to achieve, how we're gonna go about it and what the outcomes are, including removing maybe from the table. We are looking to get to an outcome in this meeting. This meeting has a purpose to it. And God, I'm sure, we, I'm sure all of us are fed up with the number of meetings we have to attend where there's no particular outcome and no particular decision. So telling your client upfront that we're gonna to use today in an effective manner to come to a decision, give you enough clarity to make a decision in your own right absolutely the right way to go forward. The next thing we're gonna do is go through a classic exploration model, largely based on actually um, spin selling. So you might recognize elements of spin in there while we're talking about situation, the problem they're facing, the impact of that problem, and the things that they've needed to do, tried to do, thought about doing. We then summarized. We've summarized this process. We've played back to them exactly what we're, um, what we're hearing from them, exactly what they're going through, making sure that we've got that right, hoping that we've got those challenges right, but giving them an opportunity to to tell us if we haven't, you might ask something like, does that sound about right? Have I captured that accurately? Is there anything I missed? I'm sure there's more detail to this. I'm sure there's more nuance to this, but does that sound broadly correct? And once they tell you that it is, you may have the opportunity. In fact, you should take the opportunity to say that, okay, in that case, does it make sense now if I take the opportunity to share with you a couple of ideas of how we've helped other businesses? And this is where we pivot from listening and being kind of our 80-20 listening mode to pivoting back to being more closer to 60-40 talking and then doing 40% of the, the listening. We're going to start with making our proposal by talking to our clients about situations and examples of what other businesses we've worked with do we're actually going to keep ourselves out of the spotlight slightly here the reason for this is your client doesn't want to be sold to they wouldn't be in this conversation if they didn't have a problem that they cared about solving and they but that doesn't mean that they care about you or your solution in fact What they really want to know is how you've helped other people and how you've solved this in the past. They don't care about the solution, they care about the stories about those other people. What you'll also notice with the the technique that I'm about to share is you get a couple of bites at the cherry when you share case studies. There's a special kind of technique or approach or or question framework that we can use to do this, which I'll share with you now. But the, the key thing to remember is If you go into a sales meeting and say like, this is what we do, this is how we do it, do you want one? Your client is very likely, or you you, you don't have any wiggle room, if your client doesn't like the sound of it, you missell it, they misunderstand it, they don't get it for any particular reason, they're going to say, no, I don't want one. That's the only option that they have. But if you tell a story about ways in which you've helped other businesses achieve the outcome that they want to achieve, and then you ask them whether that that experience is something that they think could fit for their business you're more likely to get a positive answer and if you get a negative answer you can tell them a different story about a different way you've approached it and see if that might land for them. Clearly you only get probably two attempts at that but it's better than nailing your colours to the mast before you know exactly what your client wants. And this is all about, this is all in line with keeping our solution up our sleeve. The sales process should always keep your solution to the very final part of the process. Whatever you're selling, whether it's talking to a candidate about a job, believe it or not, selling the opportunity should be the last thing that comes up. You need to know their pull factors, their push factors. You need to know what's going on in their world before you sell them the opportunity. Same with a client. You need to clear the way to make your proposal. You need to know as best as you can that they're going to agree to your proposal before you go ahead and make it. So when I'm making a proposal, I'm using stories. I'm going to say things like, based on what you've told me, it might be relevant for me to share a story about a client we worked with last year. They were looking for a similar kind of outcome to you. Their problem that when they came to us, they said that X, Y, and Z, maybe their hiring process was taking too long, it was taking too much of their manager's attention and and um, focus away from, from kind of driving the team forward. What we did for them was we made some changes to their recruitment process. We did, we did A and we did B. And those two things in combination were able to reduce their time to hire by X percent or solve their problem to a certain degree. Just to clarify, that is the sort of outcome that you guys would potentially be be happy with am i am i right in thinking that client agrees all right and is there any reason why why that approach that i've just outlined in that story that i've told you is there any reason why that approach wouldn't work for you or or is there anything we'd need to change in order to make it fit for your organization your client will either say no i don't think it would fit for us in which case you follow up with the question what would you need to change what would you what would you need to do differently or is it a complete no-no uh, if they say yes, you say great. Well, I, I suggest, you know, great. Let me add that to the list. I probably won't say that out loud, but I'll be thinking in the back of my head. Let me add that to my list of my pro- things I'm going to put in my proposal. The clients agreed that sounds like a good idea. You might also ask, OK, and if we did do that, what kind of impact do you think that would have on you personally or on the team or the problems that you're you're telling me you have? Really get them bought into to to that idea. We then go through another example so i'm I'm glad you like that one what you also might like to know is that with another business we did this thing which also had impact on the result that that they were concerned about and led them to a better place how does that sound for you is there any reason you think that wouldn't fit in your setting at this point you might say no i don't like that one that's not quite right for us okay cool another way we were able to get the same result was by doing it this way. Is that something we can consider doing here? Or do you think that would be completely impossible? Uh, If they say no to both, if they say no to the two scenarios which you think can help them solve their problem, you might tell them and they might say, look, okay, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm sensing some resistance here to, to, to some of the methodologies that, that I've shared. I'm sensing that you're not certain that these would, would work for you or could be made to work for you. The reason I share those stories is because in those two scenarios, we're able to help a client achieve the goal that you're looking to achieve. And I'm not certain. In fact, I'm concerned that if we don't do any of these things, either of these things, then the, th- the specific outcome you're looking for, is going to be really difficult for you to achieve. If it's going to be a complete deal breaker for you to be able to do those things or work with us to make those things kind of possible within your setting, within your business, then I'm not sure we're necessarily going to be able to help. Does it make sense for us to continue this conversation to see how we can build those things into our process? Or would you prefer at this stage that we don't take it any further? And so in having that conversation, you're giving your client a really nice open uh, option about whether they want to work the way that you believe you should work or whether they don't. You have to be confident and comfortable that your client may at this stage say, we don't want to work like that. This is where we come back to the key fundamentals of high quality and high value business. Loyalty and collaboration. If your client is not willing to collaborate with you, that means desperate things for your fill rate and your fill rate is a key driver of your revenue so if you end up working with a client who won't collaborate with you that could halve your revenue if you only fill 30% of their jobs or 40% of their jobs then that could be that could be the difference between you making uh, that could be the difference between you making 10 placements or making 20 placements with that organization It's absolutely fundamental that as a recruiter, we only work or we we, we operate, we position ourselves to work with the most collaborative clients. And I caught myself on saying this, but I'm pretty confident that, in fact, I see it all the time, that the best recruiters, the highest billing recruiters are the ones that only work with the most collaborative organisations and clients. Really important thing to think about. If you're making a proposal to your client and they say they don't wanna work in the way that you're offering, it's difficult. It's difficult in particular because if they say they don't want to work the way that you're suggesting, what they're saying is that they think they know the market better than you do. And that means they're not seeing you like an expert. That means they're not trusting your opinion. Because you'd only suggest these things if you thought in your breadth of experience and depth of knowledge that they were the right way for your client to go about hiring. You'd only make these recommendations if you thought, if you had kind of, data and, and, and a backdrop that tells you that they're the right way for people to go about recruiting. And there's many different ways to go about recruiting. Your client can do it in lots of different ways, but what they're looking to get from you, what they should be looking to get from you and what you should be looking to offer is a very specific methodology that works for a small number of clients who really love it, who really buy into it, who are fully committed to it, who are fully collaborative and fully loyal with you. So settling and finding ways to accommodate clients who aren't prepared to collaborate is a really detrimental impact. It's going to have a really detrimental impact on your overall revenue. It's going to drive the amount of work you do up and the amount of placements that you do is going to get driven down. So as we make these proposals, we're telling our clients stories about things we've done for other organisations, ways we've helped other organisations reduce their time to hire or improve the quality of hire of the people that they're meeting, whatever that might look like. We're asking them whether that approach would fit for them. If they say no, we're providing an alternative. If they say no to the alternative, we're kind of giving a bit of an ultimatum. If they say yes, we're mentally adding it to to our list. And then we're going through a couple of other examples. So that by the end of this proposal phase, we've got three or four ideas that we've shared with a client, three or four techniques or parts of our process that we've shared with a client that are really resonating with them in terms of how it's going to reduce their time to hire or help them achieve the, the goal and the outcome that they're specifically looking for. And that puts us in poor position. But what we're not doing is we're not going to go through every single element of our entire process. We're not trying to give them the, the full process breakdown. Once we come up with three or four things on the list, we're going to play that back. And we'll simply say, OK, so you like the idea of A... You like the idea of B, you like the idea of C, you like the idea of D. It sounds like those four things combined could really help you achieve the goals you're working towards. You then might ask, what thoughts have you got as to how best or any changes or any steps we might need to take to implement that into your business? For example, are there any other stakeholders that we need to bring in this conversation to make sure they're in agreement and in alignment before we think about kicking off that process yeah so are there any other stakeholders we need to bring into this process that need to be in agreement or in alignment before we start thinking about kicking off this process and working together in this way that's a really powerful question because it starts getting your client advocating for the way you want to work with them it starts getting them to think about okay how would we how could we actually make this work here Estate agents do this all the time. If you're a fan of uh, Kirsty and Phil and, uh, and, and location, location, location or any of those kinds of programmes, one, one of the questions they'll always do when a, when a couple or when, when the people looking to buy a house particularly interested in a property, they'll ask the question, so can you see your furniture in here? Where would you put your sofa? Where would you put your TV? And as the buyer starts imagining that, it really gets them cemented into that decision. It really makes them much more committed to, to actually deciding in favor of, of that property. So when you start talking to your client and saying, right, what, what do we need to do to make this a slam dunk? What do we need to do to make this as, as effective as possible for you? Like, what do you, re- you know the business better than I do. I can make some recommendations on how we might go about it. But, but before I do that, what do you think we should do to make this work best? We're bringing the client right into that, that, that imagined future state. And they're picturing themselves with this solution in place. Really powerful approach, really powerful technique. One that I highly recommend that you adopt. So at this point in the discovery conversation, we have got through, we've made our proposal. We're at the P of respect. We've Done our rapport building, our exploration, our summary and our proposals. We're now gonna move into our expectation setting. As you come out of your proposals, you might want to say to your client, you might want to ask your client a quick summary question like, look, is there any part of your problem or the scenario that you're in that we haven't addressed with the, with, the, with the case studies and the things that we've discussed? Is there any part of what I've talked about that hasn't kind of nailed some problems for you? Is there anything that we haven't addressed? And providing they say, uh, no, we've addressed everything, you move forward. If they say you haven't addressed something, then you look to find a case study or a story or an example that's going to support that but let's work on the basis that they have said, yeah, you've covered everything. We then move into expectation setting. It's like, great. I'm really pleased to hear that everything we've covered so far sounds like it could work for you. And I'd be really happy to to make this all available to you. However, in order to do that, there's a few things, obviously, we're gonna need to do to collaborate, to work together, to really make this as, as impactful as possible. Now, most of our clients will work with us uh, Upfront to get all of the stakeholders aligned. So we'll typically bring in, we'll typically bring in at this stage the head of HR, the head of operations, or whoever the kind of the operational business lead is, someone really senior from the senior leadership team, and maybe the the, the impacted or effective hi- uh, hiring managers. So you've got really like the nucleus of anybody who could scupper any deals or or say yes or no to any hiring processes that you get involved in. From that point, we'll, we'll be saying something like, look, with those people involved in the process, we're then looking to get alignment that they all agree that we can work in this way. We also use that team to, when it comes to any specific hires or specific, hiring or specific vacancies, we'll then communicate with all of those people. So we're really effectively setting up a project team to support and change and transform the way you hire. Because what we often see is when we work with a single individual, a single decision maker, that can leave other people's feathers a little bit ruffled. They can maybe feel a little bit left out. And I would hate for you to be in a situation where anybody you're talking to feels in any way left out of the decision-making process. So is there any reason why you wouldn't feel comfortable in supporting us arranging a meeting with with that core Nucleus team and and, and helping us determine who should be in it? That's your expectation number one, right? All the decision-makers expectation number two. And when we look to take a job brief, it's really important to us that we've got a full and thorough understanding of your role. The only way we're going to be able to deliver the results we need to to help you get or that you're looking to get are, firstly, when we've got a very clearly defined expectation about exactly what it is you need this person to do. Secondly, the a selection process, the assessment process, is built for purpose. That might mean we need to do some work in updating um, your interview and selection process, depending on how it goes. And I'm really happy to talk talk you through with that. And then the final thing we need is we absolutely essentially need to benchmark your offering, the, the role that you're offering, the way you're offering it, the compensation that you're offering, everything else against your competition in the market and making sure that we're presenting this opportunity in the best possible way. If we're unable to do those three things as part of the briefing process with the full stakeholder nucleus, uh, with the full project team for hiring, then we're not going to be able to deliver on the results that you're really looking for, that you're anticipating, that you're expecting. Is doing that going to be a problem? Is that something that you're unable to, to see happening with us? And providing they say okay, which they certainly should do, then we're, we're moving to the final piece. Okay. So based on those two things, based on the fact that you can bring the stake up, that can help us bring that project team together, and based on the fact that we can brief the role in the way that we kind of say and, and kind of construct a process for briefing that is really effective, based on the way we need to do that as and when a role comes up, the final thing that we need from you, or the final thing we need to talk about, is the level of commitment or the way that we're going to partner together, and the uh, way in which we're going to track the changes that we're trying to achieve. Now, for most of the businesses we work with, they recognize that the challenges they've been experiencing in hiring have been going on for some time. In fact, for some of them, they've been going on for many years. So it's unrealistic to expect that those problems are going to get solved overnight in the process of making one single hire. So, what most of those businesses, what most of our clients look for us to do is partner with them over a a longer period of time and really track the way that their hiring process, their hiring strategy is changing during the course of that period. Most of our clients end up working with us for for many years, of course, but we don't ask for that as a commitment up front. All we ask for initially is that you'll commit to working with us exclusively for the next six months on the vacancies that fall into our area of specialism. And we need to agree what those vacancies are. So is there any reason why you think working with us as a partner and tracking those changes over a period of time would be a Problem for you. If I I were to propose that we work together, we set an agreement to work together exclusively for the next six months, is there any reason why you wouldn't be able to or wouldn't feel confident in going ahead with that? So, what we've done here is we've positioned the connection between their loyalty, i.e., them working with us for a period of time, with the fact we're going to track the changes, we're going to see the transformation that we're trying to make for them as a business what we're really saying is look your problem is so big that we can't solve it overnight but we can solve it over a period of months or a period of hires and we'll support you in doing that we'll support you in doing that we'll, we'll track that data as we make those hires we'll be feeding back to you on on how you go about that now at this point your client may wish to negotiate they may say look we've never we've never we've never considered entering a an exclusive agreement with a uh, a recruiter before for a period of time like this At which point you might want to restate your case. Well, look, I understand that. For most of our clients, this is the first time they've ever done it. But they recognise that the problem that they've got in their hiring process or the, the goal that they're trying to achieve within their hiring process needs a more strategic approach. And approaching it tactically one role at a time hasn't created the change that they've hoped to see. And so the next natural step is to think about making a change over a period of time. Is six months, is coming to a six month agreement gonna be something that's gonna be a a complete deal breaker? So we ask them. If they say yes, it's not a possibility, you can then decide, you might decide, okay, well, we do this in special situations. And there are some things that I can do in the the first instance, in the short term, in a relatively short term, that I think will help change your results. What I therefore recommend is maybe we just look at the next one or two roles, and we've set an agreement in place for for working exclusively on the next two on the next two vacancies that come up in your team so you get to see from one vacancy to the next how we can implement some change for you at that point they still may be reluctant and if you get down to a point where you need to agree to only work on one vacancy you can simply say cool i get it but in order to offer this level of service we do need some kind of commitment from you and so what we'd ask is we can work on a single vacancy basis if that's if that's going to be a real deal deal breaker for you we can show you through the course of one vacancy how we operate the only way we can do that though is if we get some kind of commitment from you up front so what we typically ask for is 20% of our fee so if we if I were to propose that we charge you our typical hiring fee just for one role and charge 20% of that as an upfront installment is that the end of the conversation? Are we gonna to have to walk away from this? Or do you think we can make it work? So as we've gone through that, you've seen that our now our single role retained opportunity is the lowest rung on our negotiating ladder. We set out with the aim of securing six months exclusivity. We've landed on the idea that the lowest we're gonna go is a single role retained. Now this is really important Because if you do get the opportunity to work on a single role retained, which in most cases you will, you typically get better commitment than that. But in most cases, you'll at least get the opportunity to work on a single role retained. You're far more likely to get the single role retained if you've started by asking for six month exclusivity and come down to it rather than saying like rather than pitching for a retainer as the top of your negotiation ladder. The other thing that will happen is once you fill that role on a retained basis, which you should do. And if you're struggling with that, then then let me know and we can talk it over. Um, But once you've filled that role on a retained basis, your client is then thinking, right, maybe we should look at this six month contract. Maybe we should look at this six month partnership agreement. And you're well within your rights. In fact, your client is kind of expecting you to go back and upsell to them and say, okay, look, we've done the role. We've done the one role. Now, come on. Let's get serious, you've seen we've done a good job, you've seen what we can do, let's work together for the next six months and see how we can change things for you over that period. One thing to factor in, obviously this requires your client making multiple hires per year. At least needs them to be making a minimum probably of five hires per year for it really to carry some weight. But that said, unless you're working in a sector where you've got really minimal hires per year, and really high fees, in which case the retained model is exactly the right thing for you because you've got fewer hires, but more risk. So therefore you need to offset that risk with with retainers, AKA sort of the, the executive search model that has historically been the uh, bread and butter of, of retained fees. Um, we are gonna think about how we can get an agreement in place for a longer term period as, as part of an upsell off the back of um, off the back of filling a retainer. You want to be targeting clients who hire at least five times per year unless your fees are astronomical and unless your clients just simply don't make that kind of hire on that regular of a basis. Multi-hires are an absolute driver for recruiter revenue. That makes sense, right? One client, multiple hires, perfect. But, but so many recruiters think of every client as basically the same. They think of a good client as being someone who returns their calls. Um, They don't necessarily consider the fact that the value, the annual value of a client, the amount of money you can make out of them in a single 12-month period is really important as a differentiator for the sorts of businesses that you go after. At the other end of the scale, if they're too big, of course, you get into uh, into sticky territory. The talent acquisition teams start making it difficult for you to recruit with them. They've probably got a PSL. They've probably got strong opinions on how they need to recruit. And maybe even if their process is rubbish, they're not that open to change. So once you go too big, you start losing traction. Too small, you can't really cash in on any loyalty. Too big, you're going to lose that element of collaboration. The sweet spot Depend the number of the specific number of hires will depend on you, your market, your client type, but you're really looking at that, that sweet spot of a combination of both loyalty and collaboration. So let's go back a step to our negotiating stance. We've told our client that most of the businesses we work with work for us, work with us for several years. But that we don't ask for that as a commitment up front, all we ask for is a six-month partnership agreement. That gives us the Uh, freedom to work with them but also to track the improvement we can make with them over time so we can know that we're consistently adding value and improving their process so that they can see how recruitment can change. We cannot solve their hiring problems overnight with one single hire. We need to do that with a relationship that takes months to build, implement and create that, that, that real transformation. Failing that, we can fall back on a single hire, but we need to be doing this as a, you know, try before you buy kind of deal, and that must come with a retainer before we go to the next phase. So there we go. We've got all the way through our respect framework. We've got as far as the uh, commitment step, which we're now locking in. We've done the negotiation. Our client says, yes, I think we can do that. Perfect. We're then going to follow up in writing with a contract contract that outlines all the things that we're going to do for them, and we're going to send that over and look to get a signature on it to say, yes, look, when we hire, we're going to pick up the phone, we're going to give you a call, we're going to let you know, we're going to be working with you exclusively, and we're going to track these um, these, these steps and elements. And that's the T of the RESPECT framework. The final part is to track it, is to deliver the work, is to do the process, is to give them everything they want, and track the change and track the development of their recruitment process over time. Using that framework gives recruiters a really solid process to go into meetings with clients who aren't hiring yet. It gives you a really solid structure that will enable you to come away with not only multi-hire but also maybe multi-month deals and fall back on retained as you're like the lowest rung on your ladder. There are a couple of essential keys to it and I've mentioned them through the through the session today. But the first thing is you want to be thinking particularly about how your clients have multiple hires per year. So you really wanna be focusing on clients who hire multiple times per year. You wanna be absolutely drilling into their problems and the impact of those problems and the value of those problems. And you wanna make sure that you're getting to 10 million pound problems, not 10,000 pound problems, i.e. the ones that really hurt the business and really are gonna take some some, some work to solve. You wanna be thinking about your sprinkler system. You wanna be selling a, a sprinkler system, not just a bucket of water. And you want to be remembering that in terms of the tone, in terms of the kind of the style of this, you're holding your solution right back right away until the end. We don't actually outline our solution in specific terms until it comes to the actual commitment point, Terms comes to the point of putting a contract in place. Now, I haven't in this session specifically talked about multi-threading and multi-threading is a really big element. It's unlikely that you're going to get this deal over the line with one single stakeholder. You're probably going to need to bring other people into that group. We identify that. We typically identify that at the proposal phase. So we're asking questions in that proposal phase like who else, like before we move to. Um, talking about the details of this, who else needs to be involved, who else needs to have sight of this who else needs who else would feel maybe left out if we didn 't include them in the decision making process and at that point, we step back and we repeat the process again with the other decision makers and any future meeting you have is a, just a bit more succinct right it 's just you run the same framework you take them through rapport, explore summary, proposal expectations, commitment and tracking you take them through that entire process but because you've got because you've done previous meetings with other stakeholders you can summarize the information you've got so your your explore phase is much more like right in my meeting with Anna she told me that the situation is this the problem is this the impact is this and what you've tried to do is this is there anything to add is there anything different from your perspective do you feel differently about it have we captured that accurately that gives you a really easy platform to then go into okay and has Anna told you about any of the solutions that we discussed? Has she told you any about of any of the examples of the ways that we've gone about solving that? No, she hasn't. Okay, well let me let me summarize. How does that sound? Is there any reason why you think that wouldn't work? Cool. Now let me tell you what our expectations are. So we're running that same meeting again, but we're using the information that we've picked up from previous stages. So people, I think, sometimes overcomplicate multi-threading. The same meeting framework will work for you as you replicate it through your Deal cycle. You're also way more likely to get the loyal and collaborative outcome you want if you actively and proactively hunt out people who will potentially derail the deal. So, getting the CFO, getting the finance officer, getting whoever it is who's responsible for budget involved in those conversations, getting the HR, the head of HR, the head of talent acquisition, not just locally but internationally maybe involved in those conversations, getting senior stakeholders and making sure that you've got the hiring managers. Involved in those conversations will be really effective too. That's discovery. It's vastly different from the job briefs that you take. It's vastly different from understanding what a client is looking for in terms of the, the candidate they're hiring or their interview process or, or the salary and the budget they're offering. It's vastly different from a prospecting conversation where you're simply trying to ascertain whether they've got enough of a problem to be making it worth meeting you. It's a really important stage in the sales journey and it will transform your results because when you're consistently walking away from meetings with commitments to clients to spend something in the region of fifty to £100,000 with you each year, then you build a pipeline, then you start to build a way to build really significant numbers without having to constantly BD and constantly be scrabbling around trying to find the next job, the next opportunity, the next client who will let you send them CVs. Sales is a process. It's a professional activity. Grasping it and really embedding it into the way that you work is gonna be a real catalyst for your growth. Thinking purely about sales as business development, as slimy and sleazy and something that you're afraid of is not gonna cut it as we go through this era, as we go through the remainder of this decade. Becoming even 10% of a master at sales, just understanding the core fabric, the building blocks of it is really key. And I'm hoping that through this series of the Recruiting Better podcast, you've picked up a lot of tips that'll help you do that. And I'm hoping that this session, this show on discovery meetings will be a real icing on the cake or cherry on top of the process for all of you. Thanks so much for listening today. And I look forward to uh, seeing you, possibly on LinkedIn, hearing from you, and of course, getting your feedback on the show. Please do give us a rating, leave us some feedback, Everything, every comment that we get is really valuable. We're still building the show out. We're still, it's still becoming better and better. We've got some great guests lined up for the next series and all the feedback and reviews and and comments we receive from everybody who listens will really help us in making the show better in future. So thank you and go enjoy.